0: don't listen, do you? My name is Matthew Kroll.
1: And all I have is negative thoughts. My name is Shahir Dowd. And
0: this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Joker.
1: Joker, I'm surprised you didn't read your opening in your Mark Hamill voice. You do a pretty mean Mark Hamill.
0: Oh, if I just was trying to do the... The... Let's take it again, come on, oh, okay. do, 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 uh, okay. give it uh, to me. What is up internet? You don't listen, do you? <laughs> <laughs> eh, it's a little, it's all uh, right.
1: And I, I'm, I'm, I'm shaking in my boots, and, I, and it's like the Mark Hamill was here.
0: Uh, yeah, I, my, my apologies dearest listeners, <laughs> my voice is not everything that it should be. I've been spending uh, some time at Comic-Con, I've been spending some time at a Ren Fair, and there's been a lot of yelling and cheering and hooping, <laughs> um throughout all those things. So if I sound a little less Hamily than usual. Ooh. I apologize.
1: <laughs> Liss Hamily. I think that's a good way of describing uh, a <laughs> hoarse voice. Hey, Shahir, what's up? Welcome back. Thanks, buddy. Uh, we missed you on At Astra. Yes, I. I still, you know, like I've been dying to see the film so I could listen to the podcast just sure. to see if you guys would throw shade at me during the <laughs> during the episode. Uh,
0: we, here's here's <laughs> the thing. Didn't throw shade. Yeah. Um. But uh, I have some questions about where you were. Ah uh, yes. Uh I mentioned it on the podcast. <laughs> I apparently
1: I didn't know this, but you and Will Smith are now best friends? We're total besties. We go yeah. back uh way back. Um, <laughs> 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 yes, I got to hang out with Will Smith for uh a half hour. Cool. Uh, and I met him backstage as well uh at the sh- uh, I went to Budapest um for the prim- uh for the premier concert to celebrate Will Smith's birthday. Nice. That's a very strange thing. But Gemini Man is coming out, the new Ang Lee movie, um, which uh, hopefully we'll review, but only if we get to see it in 120 frames per second. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, we were there. I, I got a last minute call to say, hey, do you want to come direct this little thing with Will Smith? And I was like, well, let me check my schedule. Flip, 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 flip. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> um, of all the things I've directed in my life, this is the funny thing. Um, this is the one my mother cared about the most. That's the best. It, it's, it's, it's like I've done some some fairly decent sized things, and this was by all accounts a fairly small sized yeah, project. It but, a, it was, but it was but it was with Will Smith. It was a live event performance. Is that it was, it was a live event performance, which I was like producing some uh, background assets for. Sure. And then the next day, I was directing an interview with him. Yeah. And uh, this is the one my mother cared about the most. Uh, That's my sweet, mother. My, my whole family, you yeah. know, like cared about the most. Uh, and so normally on on shoots like this, I don't try to get a selfie or anything with the Talent, because you don't want to be rude. And you're, and you're there to do a job. Yeah. Um, but this was one where I was like, I d- I grew up watching this dude. Uh, you know, like he's his, <laughs> his his. My parents are all. Uh, if I can get this selfie, my parents will know that I'm actually I'm um, I, I actually do what I say I do.
0: Look at me, mom. <laughs> look at me, mom.
1: Okay, I made it. I made it. Um. <laughs> but yeah, no. So look. Uh. I think you know. You know what's funny as well and this has happened a couple of times on the sure. podcast, but I went back and I listened to our review of Suicide Squad because I was like... What, what did I say about Will Smith? Yeah. when when you know when we've talked about him on the podcast, and I you know I what I said was uh, was very true of uh, what it was like meeting him, which is uh, I think what I said in that episode was like it's a shame to me that Will Smith isn't the biggest goddamn movie star on the planet. Yes, because he's such a movie star. Yeah, um, and you know what? I the only thing I think I might retract is that I he might be the one of the biggest goddamn movie stars on the planet. He he is he is uh, um, his his. His hit rate with uh, blockbuster movies isn't as high as someone like Tom Cruise or something but he's like that. But
0: still he's still mm-hmm. got the name recognition. Where I, Will Smith, it, weirdly, Will Smith and Tom Cruise probably have the same name recognition at this point.
1: Yeah, like your mom would know. My mom knows who yeah. Will Smith. Is. Yeah,
0: yeah, no. Um And I, you know, look, I will say Suicide Squad. I don't remember even what I said about it in the thing about Will Smith in particular, mm-hmm. but he's probably one of the best parts of that movie. I mean, he's he's trying the best he can. Same with Margot Robbie and my Opinion. Yeah, Just yeah. Trying
1: I, real hard. I don't think you know, like he's that he's he's never phoned it in. Yeah, never ever phoned it in. And and then when I you know when I got to talk to him, here's a uh, a quick you know summary of that, uh, which is that he is disarmingly nice. Like it's 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 completely disarming because you know here's this guy who basically the entire city of Budapest turned out to celebrate his birthday, who did songs from like thirty years ago that everyone knows the words to, yeah, uh, who is you know like this huge you know uh, internationally recognized person, and he comes into this interview and he treats it like we're doing him the favor. And, and you know like it's really disarming because we're all we've been prepping all day to make sure we don't waste his time yeah and he comes in and he wants to and he he he, he shakes hands with everybody on the set and the crew he signs autographs for, uh, for everyone um, he he talks to everyone uh, he and I get to get a talking about um, well the reason I was there was to like uh, d- direct an interview about uh, his career on MTV right and, like where he started out with and somehow the conversation got to where I came from which was Fiji and we were talking a little bit about how you know uh, when Will Smith when the Fresh Prince was on we would have to like ad- you know there was a tape that came in from yeah. New Zealand and we would have to like the tape would get distributed and we all watched that you know I, and it's all true you know I grew up yeah. watching the Fresh Prince and he was like interested in that you know he was like willing to talk about it we talked about hip hop he was really really nice it's nice. Like, it's disarming and it's, and it's it's because you're like this man has no reason to be nice
0: I mean or it's, every reason <laughs> to be nice if you really think about it. I mean I, like that's a good it's it's good to hear that I think um
1: it's yeah. also uh, the other thing just the one last thing was that he came in at like five o'clock in the afternoon so he'd been doing like priest stuff yeah. all day and it honestly felt like we were the first thing he was doing. He felt he, fresh. He fe- yeah, he felt like it was the first. <laughs> Almost as if he was a fresh prince. <laughs> you know, my buddy Nigel was telling me, you should tell him a joke to break the ice. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. But I did Google a fresh prince joke, uh, which I did not tell him. I was going to say, don't do that. <laughs> but but here's one for you. Okay. How do you find Will Smith in the snow? I don't know. You look for the fresh prince.
0: Oh, uh, okay. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Shahir, you and I remember Budapest very differently. Have you and I been to Budapest? No, I, that was a Marvel quote. Oh. Uh, that was Hawkeye and Black
1: Oh, uh, deep cut. <laughs> deep cut, bro. Deep cut.
0: Um, but, well, look, I, I'm very happy that you got to, to meet Will Smith, and I think it was, you know, I, I, having seen Ad Astra, uh, without any spoilers, I will say you made the right choice.
1: <laughs> I really want to see Ad Astra. I was like there was a night in Budapest where I was like, ah, oh, where's the local movie theater? Should I go and try and see Ad Astra? Uh, I didn't quite make it because I had a lot of work on, but I, I still want to see it, still want to you know it's funny when you do the podcast, if if a movie kind of moves past you quickly, it's, it's hard it's hard to catch back up with. Yeah. It. Yeah. Um so yeah, I'm I'm very excited that you had uh, Rid and um Red, Jamie and Anastasia. And Anastasia yep. on. Uh, I think that'll be an excellent review. I haven't listened to that's it fine, because because I haven't seen the movie. Good. And I want to see the movie. Listen, you were off hanging with Will Smith, okay? <laughs> uh, what was
0: I doing this week? Uh... <sighs> nothing working
1: (laughs) so you win so before we get started one thing I want to point out is that we're going to have uh, a special bonus piece of content at the end of this episode so please stick around for the end of this episode with uh, our friend Annie Gillies who went along to the Toronto International Film Festival to watch a bunch of films and review them for us in a little you know like one minute quick hot takes Uh, you're going to hear reviews of Unkit James the new Safdie Brothers film The Laundromat from Steven Soderbergh Judy the Renee Zellweger vehicle Motherless Brooklyn Waves Honey Boy Lucy in the Sky. So please, please stick around for that. That I'm very excited that we have uh, a new unpaid intern.
0: Do it. No, so uh, this this week's episode, you hear, I'm very is, glad you're yeah. back. Uh, we're 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 gonna tackle what apparently everyone else on the GD internet has tackled: the Clown Prince of Crime himself, Joker. Uh, this is a movie. Uh, oddly, you weren't excited for. No, not really. Uh, uh, so, so here's the deal. I was. Um, I saw that first trailer and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, interesting." Yeah. And then the second, I don't know. This might be a thing with me. It probably is. But the second that, like, like the way, rev- like, at the film, which film festival was it? Um, one Venice. Yeah. yeah. So, so after that happened, and then people were treating it like it was the like the so, certain reviewers or certain people that saw it were treating it like it was the the next evolution in cinema. Just like very like. Crack it open the sources to the point of like just a lot tons of flowery language to describe a film always sets me off. Okay, um,
1: is it the language or the film?
0: The language, the language of the reviews. I mean, okay. th- because I it, the more I feel as though a review is trying to convince me, and maybe a film like this does need to convince people before it could actually roll out into the public. And we'll talk about you know the, the discourse, um, but it just felt like. It, 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 the reviews themselves were like trying too hard to justify something about it. I couldn't, I couldn't place it, and and I by that point I was like, well, I mean, I'm gonna see this, but it's not something I'm excited for. Like, I almost had a negative effect to the positive reviews, if that makes sense.
1: Okay. Um, we should uh, we should unpack that at some
0: point. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and and then I saw the second trailer, which looked to be more of what I feared it was, which was just sort of like. A very well shot movie with uh, what I I hoped didn't happen was like if it had really nothing to say mm-hmm. and but like I don't know I I don't think I'm biased against DC at all at this point like it's not like we're in the Snyderverse anymore this is you know a different uh, this is a different beast altogether so it's like it's definitely not that yeah. Um, I just, what for whatever reason, it was not something I was excited about. And then with the, with the, again, the discourse going on, it even got me less and less excited to to talk about it because I, I both sides are dumb.
1: Okay. Uh, what, are, what are the both sides? I mean, the, the both sides.
0: Side, so the two sides, at least is sort of, I see it, uh, is, um, you have one side where, basically saying the things we've talked about before we were talking about like when the movie getting pulled from like with the hunt you bring up a bunch um but like that this film will incite violence and we should not we should not have this film out because it it will incite violence in the current day and age 2019 culture and blah 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 um and the other side uh basically being like shut up snowflakes no it won't this is a, this is a important, uh, you know, story for our age or whatever. the ha- Like, I don't know. It just felt like no one was having a, a measured conversation about this film. Yeah. Which I'll get into sort of more thoughts about that near the end of the review. Yeah. But, uh, I- it was one of the situations where, in my opinion, I was disappointed that I was right at the cause of what I think all this is
1: from. Okay, what's the because I'm gonna get to it okay. later on.
0: Okay. Uh, all so right. what about you? So you were excited? Were not excited?
1: Didn't care? Uh, I didn't watch the trials, obviously, but I, you know, obviously knew that there was a film coming out by director Todd Phillips, who had directed the Hangover movies and Due Date. Uh, I, I liked the first Hangover movie. Um, did quite he do all three? Th- yeah, he did all three. Ooh. <laughs> uh, the second, t- there's a famous Jerry Seinfeld quote, uh, which I think I brought up before, which he said something along the lines of uh, if... If The Hangover was just a standalone film, it might have gone down as one of the greatest comedies yeah. of the 21st nope. century. Um, but then they made two more, um, and, uh, and and so I was curious about that. Uh, obviously, the the Scorsese influence on the whole thing was kind of interesting to me. Um, yeah. I, I was you know like okay, cool. Someone's you know really pulling at this string. Let's see where that goes. And then um, the the third thing was the just this idea that you know like they were going to do a standalone villain film that wasn't connected to a broader universe. And I was like, okay, I'm cool. I'm I, I'm I'm here for that. The images I saw of the film looked uh, um, very powerfully yep. different, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Okay, cool. I'm 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 here for all of this." Yeah. Um, you know, no expectations, but but uh, optimistic. Um, so I, you know, I guess my my you know the discourse over the last week has been interesting to follow, and that's obviously something I do follow while not watching the trailers. Right. Um, I think the. The notion that the film will incite violence, uh, which I think is is probably being pulled out of context from somewhere, um, is an interesting one, and I think you know again that 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 episode that we've been long talking about about violence in cinema uh, is something that I I I think this film will play directly into. Um, but the you know like I, I think I said to you at the time, I, you know, and I and I, I tweeted about this recently, which was that the um, I think the people who think that the film The Joker will incite violence, then also have to kind of possibly agree with the idea that, that the hunt should be pulled. Because that is the argument that there was made for the hunt, and 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 I and I think it's a, an incorrect argument on both sure, sides. Sure, sure, sure. But I'm saying if you believe one thing, then you have to kind of acknowledge that that is the fear that some people have, you know, and, and it's and it's in its best form, or
0: like a John Wick, or yeah, you know, or John Wick like or
1: whatever. And and I don't agree with that. Todd so.
0: Phillips actually said he brought up John Wick as a counter argument, which mm-hmm. I think is a weak counter argument and something that but now, granted, mm-hmm. What your argument is saying, I think, is correct. You do if that is the cons- the consent of people that mm-hmm. this movie will speak to a certain group of people that are you know violent yeah. and will go do violent acts but like a lot of what Todd and look i i get it to a point todd phillips seems like he's asked to he's literally having the entirety of or like half of the angry internet coming at him yeah and that's a shitbox place to be like i couldn't imagine that level of pressure yeah i've had i've had z-list uh uh, I mean, I'm I'm a Z-list known entity on the internet at this point, and I've had some b- backlash against stuff that we've done on, say, extra credits. Right, and even that small amount is it, it can be paralyzing a bit, and you you don't quite know what to do. I can't imagine what. Todd Phillips is was sort of like when when just the hate wave sort of came his way and then there's like defenders. But then maybe the people that are defending, he also probably doesn't agree with entire Like there's there there's so many extremes in this point. And he said something. He tried to make the comparison to John Wick. He's like, why is Joker problematic and John Wick isn't? Uh now, there's a difference between the, the 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 crux of that argument is problematic, right? Like, there are aspects of both that are problematic, but the aspects that people originally focused their stuff about Joker, uh, basically an unabashed killer uh, <laughs> rolling forward, like, also a character we have 80 years history being a mass murderer. Um, not to say you can't reinvent it, but that's still going to leave cultural, you know, psychic imprints on how you think about a character. Um John Wick, at least in the film has a code that most people might consider moral outside of the murder but if, if you if, if you're looking at sort of the if you compare John Wick to the Joker if and you take away murder, okay, then you look at just motivations. I feel as though John Wick is more of a character that people could I would say relate to in in a way more but here's the thing this okay. is but this is sort of the end of what I'm what I'm saying about this and then we can go back and forth. When Todd Phillips brought up John Wick as the counter-argument, he just randomly picked another violent film uh, that is popular currently, but without any of the character subtext that I think is actually important. You could pick a ton of other characters or films to really nail nail this point home if that's the point you want to make. You could do – hell, do pick. you want to stick comic book characters or comic book guys thing? Be the Punisher. Like the, the Punisher uh is probably the closest thing that has been popular in an R-rating setting, in my opinion.
1: Right. The um, T V show. The Netflix show.
0: Netflix show, you know, anything. Like just or like characters. Like there's other places to to pull from. And so and again, I, I feel bad even criticizing that aspect of it because when you are the target of something this grand, mm-hmm. uh I I don't I, I how can
1: you yeah, I, I don't know. I I uh, uh I take a lot of uh uh I hmm, I don't know if I agree with Todd Phillips on this point about John Wick, but I I see his point, and uh and I think I I think his point is worth exploring. Um, I think it's something I I brought up on the John Wick episode mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I think what what he's pointing to is the skewed sense of morality um as divided by consequence of action and uh, and what he's basically saying is look john wick murders 300 people on screen on in his film yet my film, uh, you know, which also features murder, is getting is is being talked about being as as dangerous, and and I think I think what he's saying actually has some validity to it. I don't necessarily agree with his right. result, but I think it's worth discussing that topic. And I think the the for me the the point of doing this film, The Joker, uh, as a review, will be uh, an interesting exploration of the idea of what is morality in film.
0: Well, it's interesting because so like if you look at John Wick, the people he murders are basically the the film sets it up, and I'm not even saying it does it in a in a very in an oak in a totally effective way or or in a way that makes it remotely important. But they're all (laughs) everyone in John Wick is an assassin, it, it it seems at this point. Right. So There are people trying to kill John Wick, and so we instantly see John Wick because we know his backstory as the person that is being wronged and therefore killing them does not have that sort of aspect of it. In Joker, it's the same in that regard to a point because various people that the Joker kills, spoiler alert, Joker kills people, um, throughout this movie get to that point, but each time it happens, it slowly takes away from, I think, the people John Wick kills, Mm -hmm. uh, are portrayed to us as nameless, faceless baddies, which you can go into whether or not that is a, a good way to look at the loss of human life as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about here. Where the people that Joker kills are intimately connected to feelings that Joker is having about a lot of different, that Arthur Fleck is having about a lot of different, uh, either individuals or cultural touch points in his life and you could argue both pro or against like whether or not that has more validity than sort of nameless slaughter um but by the end of joker and again i don't want to get into too many spoilers um it's very clear that these points that could have been made and i think could have been made and argued well uh i feel the movie misses
1: uh, that's that's uh, I think uh, we're we're getting um, ahead of ourselves. No, hung up on content as opposed to context, which is what I think. What I think Todd Phillips is talking about. I think it's a little mix. Um, so you know, like it, it, it's this is a very big topic, and I think oh, we'll yes. get we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah um, we can, Sorry, I didn't mean to sort of clamor in right right yeah. away. No, but but I, I think I think it's a fascinating topic, and I think the the question that it's kind of leading to is how does how do films. Uh, depict morality in association, w- in in conversation with the audience. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's an interesting, that's, that, that is an interesting topic. That to might be,
0: know. well I mean we're going to touch on it a bunch here but if we <laughs> see, the, if we get to the hour, hour and some change part of this <laughs> podcast and we're like oh shit maybe we sort of do a two-parter about violence and then we do a two-parter or, or another one about morality in film because that's fascinating
1: too. Yeah, I think I think it's a... Uh, I, I read a book uh, this week about the topic uh, to kind of prep for this episode and I think um, it's a fa- it's a really fascinating topic.
0: Good, I just watched a lot of Batman the
1: Animated Series so <laughs> okay. I think we're going to really have a, a, a good cross-section <laughs> of information. Well, before we do that, uh, if you have thoughts about The Joker or any of the movies that we've reviewed, please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod as did a couple of people this week. Zachary, uh, who is starting the podcast the screenwriter's nightmare wrote us in to uh, this is going to sidetrack us away from the Joker That's for a fine. second but maybe into the same ballpark with Christopher Nolan I don't know if you've seen this fight on Twitter but there has been some debate over which of the two is a better movie Interstellar or Inception if you guys can spare half an hour uh, I'm going to spare us half a minute uh, <laughs> debate <laughs> time which do you feel is the better movie I personally like Inception more but I could make an argument for Interstellar if needed uh, Mr. Kroll uh, Interstellar or Interception uh, <laughs> I like be, Interception please yeah yeah the eye universe of Christopher Nolan. Uh,
0: Inception is a far more interesting film to me, okay, and it's also one that, uh, and again, I I feel like I've watched no, I, you know what? I only saw Interstellar once in the theater because mm-hmm. Interstellar did not grab me. the the, okay. the visuals and some of the the cool sort of science stuff was very interesting to me, mm-hmm. but again, for again specifically personally, the ending did not stick, okay, um, for me. Uh, whereas Interstellar, or whereas uh, Inception. Was just not only so fresh in ways that I feel like Interstellar was as well, but like it actually stuck its landing. And more importantly, even though like it did wrap up its story, but then it had a bit of a cliffhanger, not, not sort of with the top, right?
1: Uh, Like
0: it, but it's a baby cliffhanger. Like it's a, it's not, it's not plot dependent, but it's meaning of plot dependent. And when you can sort of nail that down too, Mm -hmm. uh, I really I, that movie. I was like, "Oh yes, this is wonderful." And I I rewatch Inception maybe once every few years because it's just it's interesting and, and Dream Logic. Look, I you know what I really want to talk about. We should do a podcast on. Sorry to derail the derail, but yeah. the cell.
1: Oh, the cell, the Tarsem film. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a, it it's a film that in my mind doesn't work, but is one of the most gorgeous things I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah.
0: Um. So th- I, it's funny whenever I
1: talk about Inception, my brain instantly goes to the cell. You should have you seen the full. No. You should watch The Fall. The Fall is the follow-up movie that uh, Tarseem did to to The Cell, and it's even more gorgeous, even more beautiful, even more radically dreamlike than The Cell is. The Cell feels like seven... Push through the dream filter. Yeah, uh, yeah does. the the fall is extraordinary. Okay, you should watch that. I, will. I think uh, Jamie would love it as okay. well.
0: Okay, nice. What about you? Uh, which which of these uh, inter or uh, in movies?
1: Uh, I'm gonna be not not a contrarian on this, but I, I I have my reasons. I actually am more of a fan of Interstell- Interstellar than Inception. Okay, um, I think in- Interstellar to me is. Uh, I agree with you. The ending of the Interstellar kind of uh, gets away from itself. Yep. Um, and gets into sort of territory that doesn't really make logical sense anymore. But for me, Interstellar has more emotionally resonant moments, and I think the ambition of Interstellar in terms of what it's trying to say about humanity speaks more volumes to me than what Inception is doing. I, I really I do like Inception a lot. Yeah. Inception, for me, the issue is uh, um, is that it doesn't... And this is a personal minor gripe, but it, it doesn't feel like dream logic as I understand it, and, and it's a film that one scene of dream logic really lands for me and the others feel like movie logic. You know what's so interesting? And I've actually talked about this before, and I don't know, maybe you do this too, but maybe not now that we're
0: talking about it. I dream, in real life, uh, I dream in a very uh, cinematically narrative way. I'm not saying that my dreams make total cohesive sense, right. but my dreams that I remember are very structured in in a way that a a good... Uh, story or movie or video game narrative would be put through. I'm very – I can't remember the last time I had a dream that like – and then I was in a flower field and then I was in a plane and then Godzilla was talking to me about the 1976 uh, Mets world, you know, whatever. Like it. that doesn't happen. There's right. always a connective thread even if it's like weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore I felt like Inception – like while it did feel like oh they're just going into different game or movie situations but i was like but this is kind of like how i
1: dream okay. so for me I, I guess i dream the other way okay. which is uh my dreams feel like very much like david lynch movies okay uh it's, that that is a minor gripe because everyone has a different thing my my, my only issue is there is that the spectacle of dreaming uh, you know, because I think what I want in that movie is like the spectacle of dreaming. Yeah. And I think the best one is the hallway sequence and everything else, like the the snow chase, which feels very much like um on a secret service. Yeah. yeah, the Bond film. It's it, it's it's all really fascinating. And I think I think uh Nolan does an incredible job of like pulling this whole thing together like you know it, it the, the movie itself is a heist in terms of film logic yeah uh and he pulls it all together um so i'm not not dissing on inception by no, by choosing interstellar good movies i i just interstellar kind of speaks uh, there's an ambition to interstellar that is trying to speak to the broader qualities of like where humanity should move sure or should be and i and i that that really resonates with me yeah so uh, for what it's worth, one for Interstellar, one for Inception. So
0: now, Zachary, you make the call. I guess you'd say, well, you just said you could make an, an argument for either, even though you mm-hmm. thought Inception more. So now you gotta, you gotta, now you have to put your money where your mouth is and mm-hmm. make a choice, <laughs> because if we know anything from the internet you you got to make decisions on
1: arbitrary shit or it means nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be... And it's all going to come back to haunt you at some point. It will be quoted out <laughs> of context. Uh, right. Next up, we have Jonathan Blade
0: uh, says to us, "What uh, what's the large-scale appeal of the Joker? I enjoy actors going all in, sure. Uh, he doesn't really do anything, though. The Joker has crazy and plot armor, which I love those two points, by the way. I think that's very uh, poignant. Um, but the... Uh, but he's the ultimate just kill him guy where you could. Indeed, just kill him. I blame Boland. Everyone wanted to be his Joker.
1: Yeah, so um, Boland was the artist behind the Killing Joke, yeah. uh, the Alan Moore
0: adaptation. Um, uh, you know Joker from a character perspective across the 80 year span we've had him we've had so many different is Jokers 80 Years
1: is it really Roughly Yeah is it cuz he's he, did he appear in Batman 1? No uh
0: right. well well maybe I I don't know if it was Batman 1 but Batman was around before Batman 1 Batman was in Detective Comics 15 or that might have been Amazing Spider-Man 1940
1: Ended. Batman number 1 Yeah okay That's so he's jo- in... Yeah, yeah.
0: So um I mean look Joker is uh a great character and he's meant a lot of different things across this giant breadth of time. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a thing. If you look at uh, stuff sort of in the logical sense of, um, of how a lot of the DC cinematic universe has been trying to sort of push us toward like a, you know, a darker realer world Mm -hmm. than say Marvel uh, I don't know if it's been successful, but that's been sort of the, the mantra. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with the Joker is the more realistic your world gets, and I think this is what Jonathan Blade is sort of getting to, uh, the more you realize that his superpower is basically, as he put it, uh, crazy and plot armor. <laughs> Um, plot armor being, uh, basically these two things are things that protect characters and stories that when they should absolutely be killed or injured or taken off the board and they're not because the plot deems it so and their excuse sometimes can be that like, oh, but they're so nuts that they could just either figure out or luck their way through. A situation, And that works very well in things like Batman the Animated Series. Even Jack Nicholson's Joker. Definitely Romero's Joker.
1: Um I, hell, even Suicide Squad's Joker. Yeah, I, feel, I feel bad for Jared Leto. Uh, because I actually... I didn't hate... His, uh, Suicide Squad has a lot of problems. Jared Leto's not one of them in my
0: well, mind. Well, Jared... And I don't know what's true and what's not true about the way he conducted himself on set. Yeah. I do know that your new best friend Will Smith plus Margot Robbie <laughs> and a lot of other people don't... It seems like don't want to work with Jared Leto anymore because he got like, just just oddly not fun creepy about the entire thing. That might be so, but uh, in terms of the movie itself... If like, we're looking like, at the movie uh, it's, himself, uh, that Joker's not terrible. It's a take on Joker. It's a take. That's the thing. I'll I, tell you, it's, it's
1: incredibly misused. It's in Miss the U- film. It's weird because I think I said this on that episode, which is that he should have been the main villain of that, oh, of that movie. Yeah. And and the odd the the only thing I, I would say about that is it's like, how do you follow Heath Ledger? You, you're, you're following one of the, the, the greatest performances in the history of acting as lauded by the Academy Awards. Yeah. And you're having to do the same character follow-up. I was like, any take that is just functional is probably going to be okay. And, and he had a take. And I, and I, I was like,
0: I was like, cool. I didn't like how extreme how, like, young rapper-ish they made him look. But, like, that's just an aesthetics choice. Like, that, you know... It, I, it made sense to me. I also yeah. don't particularly love that uh, they painted over uh, uh, Romero's mustache. But, like, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, it doesn't
1: matter. It doesn't matter. It's all, like, uh, what is that thing, the Thurman uh, theory? Which is, like, there's no rules to this that actually make sense. It's right. you know, like It's, like, you know, it's a thing. When you're portraying Joker...
0: Yeah. ...in a realistic setting, the more real you make the setting... The less believable Joker gets, and look, Dark Knight. Uh, that could be said. That could be true for Batman himself. Well, sure, but the, but the, the thing is, to make Batman more realistic, you need to get a little more extreme, and then more and more and more away from the. That's kind of what I was going to get to. Everyone's like, "Oh, well, the reason Dark Knight's so good is because it's so realistic." And I mean, that's not the only reason, but the but like. That's not exactly true when you start dealing with, like, that motorcycle that pops out of a car and, like, I don't know, like, there's a lot of extreme, you know, millionaires driving tanks around a city, that sort of thing. So so that Joker was not nearly even as, I would dare I say, sort of in a realistic world as this current film we're about to discuss, Joker. Uh, But I think one of the strengths of the Joker is once you, or weaknesses in certain cases, is once you take him out of more... Uh, fanciful, let's say, um, worlds or realities where stories where he's being told, the less and less he makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I um, as far as the appeal of the Joker, Jonathan, I think the Joker is a is a, um, a a totem, for lack of a better term. He is a he is a thing that you can put a lot of different stuff into. And as a writer, I think it's an exciting opportunity to try to. It, he's basically weirdly enough a get out of jail free card for plot and you could do something great with it or you could do something cheap with it and, and people have across the entirety of this character um, but I think that's why everyone sort of gravitates to him is it's it's a juxtaposition of something that even though at this day and age clowns are considered I think in American culture more creepy than funny um, then you can look at it you can look at like all of the other stuff John Wayne Gacy yeah mm-hmm. Um, but but that's like that that original farce of like taking something that's supposed to be happy and childlike and turning it into something terrible that's a, its own interesting psychology there and then also it can he can be a incredibly well thought out uh, basically evil mastermind genius. he could just be so crazy that stuff kind of works he can just be the antithesis of someone who believes in pure law and order and sort of the agent of chaos or he could literally be a... Uh, a basically a glorified cli- crime lord with a gimmick. Like there's so much you can do with the Joker, um, and I think that's why that's sort of the appeal. I don't know. What do you think? Shia?
1: Um, my my thing is, I think the reason, yeah, I think you know, the Joker is an image. You know, he came from uh, was it Conrad Veidt who played him in the Man Who Laughs? So he has this sort of maniacal image, uh, which is possibly why he was appear. You know, why he appeared in Batman One. Um, I think I think the reason. And this is probably an evolution of the character over time. Is that he is the perfect antithesis to the to Batman, mm-hmm. and that's why he's interesting. Is that Batman has this set of rules that he follows, which is that he can't kill people, uh, and he can't, doesn't use guns. And that is, uh, and, and the Joker basically knows and understands that, and challenges not just the the way in which Batman operates, but also philosophically what does the Batman stand for. Mm. And I think you know, like um, Alan Moore's comic, The Killing Joke, uh, really does. You know, like play this out, and you know, Alan Moore is really good at figuring out what makes a person tick, and his idea with the Joker is that you know, like it's everyone is one bad day away from like complete uh, chaos, and and the Joker is while his you know like he's one part gangster so he's one part you know just a, a, a crime a, lord a crime lord you know plotting the mechanics of taking down other people you know getting money murder blasphemy all that sort of stuff but the more interesting part is the idea that he his what the joker ultimately wants is to prove to people that anyone can be like him Anyone can believe that they are. In anyone, stories, yeah. Anyone can be an agent of chaos, and the and and I think the Joker's bigger point is that the under the hood of of uh, of Gotham City, under the hood of every human being, is the 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 rug of sanity, the rug of 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 human uh, empathy with other people can entirely be pulled away, and 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 I think that's what his idea. That's that's why he's interesting because he basically um he's unlike other characters which is that you can't really ever beat the joker because his worldview is so fixed and you can't ever like prove him wrong like you can just not do the thing that he wants and and that is the way you beat him but you can't ever prove that that no one is one day away from one bad day away from like completely flipping but you also can't can't prove that like do you know what i
0: mean like just because the joker says and i'm just saying he said that in a couple different things but just because the joker says that doesn't mean
1: it's true and just because you can't disprove it also doesn't mean that's not true what i mean is that you can't change the joker's mind like he believes his worldview as thoroughly as Batman believes his, and that and that's the thing. Like you can't ever get to a point with the Joker where you change his mind. Well, like so you can, you could, you could certainly kill him. You could certainly imprison him. But none of that is going to change fundamentally how he sees the world. But then, and, you, and you're never going to like bring him to justice in that respect.
0: And the more and more you get into sort of more realistic stories with the Joker, the less realistic that is. Now I'm not saying people can change their mind easily, but either something happens with certain like you know, people don't change their mind about a ton of stuff, but also people are not invincible uh, psychotic clowns in real life. Like it's you everyone is a is a mortal at least until they figure that out. So like it's it's hard to sort of like the the more we put realistic situations and mindsets into fantastical characters. It's an interesting uh, challenge in story writing, I think. The more stuff f- fades away and sort of falls apart by the wayside, even even the things that make us love them. Batman, straight up. if you if you take three seconds to think about what Batman is, it's horrifying. right. And I know comics have sort of tried to sort of go into this a little bit too, but but it's basically a well-off dude. Who could be spending his money actually fixing the problems of his city because he apparently has the superpower of infinite wealth? Instead, he goes and beats the shit out of uh, d- disenfranchised, granted, possibly evil people or maybe just uh, mentally unhealthy people and throws them in a terrible asylum. <laughs> like, yeah, it's cool on an art direction standpoint, but like if you t- if you start taking apart what Batman is, it's it's kind of horrible.
1: Yeah, of course, and and I think, but but in terms of the you know the blade's bigger question was like, what is the appeal of the Joker? And I think it's I think it's that I, well, to me anyway, yeah. it's the idea that that he is an immovable force. You know, like he is, you cannot change the Joker's. There's no point at which the Joker, in any scenario of being defeated, is going to suddenly believe that the world is you know uh, that humanity is good. He fundamentally believes that that. You know, everyone is one day, you know, one bad day away from, from like absolute chaos, and that's and that's what he wants to prove. And I think that I, I, I think that's actually really fascinating. I think uh, the the amazing thing about the Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan film, is that it manages to to put that idea into action. You know, like it's not just him talking about these things, it's actually him doing these things. Right. Um, and and I think that's that's kind of what makes that film so fascinating. And like the challenge, you know, the question of like why any actor would want to do the the Joker is because, you know, like it is that sort of challenge of playing someone with a completely warped worldview, um, that is not, you know, like not within the boundaries (laughs) of society as we know it, and trying to make it make sense. And I think I, you know, I think that's a that's a interesting challenge, and I think I, you know, like that's why I'm interested in this in this character. Right. Um, but I'm not sure that's why Todd Phillips' film, the uh, not not Joker, the, just straight just, up just, Joker, just, just straight up Joker. You know, it's an art
0: house film because of the text and the title in the beginning.
1: The te- what what
0: the, the big just bowl? the big the big sort of like not not. Uh, not entirely clean font that pops up over the 1940s or whatever music that's played. I don't know. It just
1: felt very like, oh, all right. Did you like, uh, do you think uh, A Star is Born is art it has? Uh, no, but, but it has the same cl- big, big font saying A Star is Born as a character walks away
0: oh that's true oh but you know what though it is hearkening back a little bit maybe i'm sorry art house is the wrong is the wrong terminology um it uh old timey yeah i guess it's a
1: soul bass kind of influenced uh title style which is you know big sans-serif font uh big yellow sans-serif font saying hey this is the movie hey you look over here yo look at this Look at this guy. Well, uh. He's a real clown. Thank you, John. Real <laughs> Joker kind of guy.
0: Played for writing in again. Write in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweeted us at onlymoviepod on Twitter if you want to talk more Joker or other things. But let's get into it finally.
1: Okay, tell us what it's about. What is the Joker? Oh. Oh, dear. What is the, what is the MDB? Well, Say, listen,
0: it, this is one of the most comprehensive IMDb descriptions I think I've ever heard of in any, any film whatsoever. So okay. I just want everyone to strap in. If you haven't gotten a drink in a little bit, go get some water, maybe a snack or whatever. Uh, and it will still be going by the time you get back. A gritty character study of Arthur Fleck, a man disregarded by society. Boom. Done. Cool. All right, we can go home. Yeah. I'm it, already home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should go home. You're like a block away. Yeah, what am I doing here?
1: Um. Yep. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> so Matt, uh, we've already established you weren't that excited for this movie. Can you tell us about your screening? Because I, I think this is an interesting. You know, like just, just to mm-hmm. put it in context. Yeah. Uh, the FBI, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, <sighs> did put out an issue, uh, an alert. That there, uh, there was potential threats of violence uh, at screenings of this movie this Friday, um, and I gotta say, I was uneasy going to going to the movie theater. I went. To, uh, my screening was not the most comfortable because I went to the Nighthawk in uh, Prospect Park. Okay, and um, you know, and I would have thought the Nighthawk was kind of one of those theaters where people uh, are silent and you know, like sit and watch the movie. But this was not one of those screenings. This was like people were talking, people were on phones. Uh. One person, and this was the most distracting thing. One person, I think, had that thing where their phone. Flashes their um, their light when they get a text message. Ugh. So during the movie, every ten to fifteen minutes, lights would be flashing in the bottom, like in the corner Yuck. of my eye. And it was like you know the warnings of like going to see this movie was like uh, you know it just played in the back of my head. Yeah. But we all have that fear. I think particularly around this movie. And I think the idea of like you know whether this film incites violence or not um, is due to the fact that we all associate. The Dark Knight with the Aurora shooting, of course. Um, but I read this fascinating thing, and and someone will have to like verify this for me, and I and I'll I'll double check it. But the idea was that the the shooter from the, the Aurora shooting never said that he was there for the Joker. And it was only because he had purple hair. He never mentions anything about the Joker. And I think this was the broader thing, was that we have all got this false memory kind of associated that he did it because he wanted to be the Joker, but he never did, and he just kind of picked a movie at random. Like, it could have been any movie. Sure. Uh, and it was, and I, I was like, oh, that's really fascinating that we've kind of falsely associated this moment of chaos with this character of chaos. I mean, it's, it's a correct...
0: Um connection not based in fact like if it's it's a chaotic act that just so happened to coincide with a place that a chaotic story was being told by a chaotic character much of the
1: same way that the character the person who um tried to assassinate ronald reagan was was obsessed with taxi driver so taxi driver becomes this flashpoint for that kind of behavior i think that's that's sort of an interesting way to to start
0: um the my screening was fine Okay. Uh, I went. (laughs) People respectful. I mean, kind of. I went at ten o'clock in the morning. There were some people chatting in the back, but that's a little bit par for the course um, at the Astoria, the uh, UA Kaufman. Yeah. Um, uh, It was fine. Um, I think I I could tell people didn't really connect with it at the end, okay, and I'm not saying that that's not... I, I actually don't think that's going to be the majority of people that see this film, mm-hmm. but I think a 10 a.m. screening on a Friday, the people, the type of people that will go to a 10 a.m. screening on a Friday, yeah. I think that is not the type of crowd that this movie is built for. <laughs> right, fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, man, okay, so uh, I want to talk about some stuff that I actually did really like about it, okay. sort of first. Um, I thought that it was shot... Um and cut together very very well. Yeah. Uh, uh. The the way that the 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 camera sort of moved or didn't, and also the way that the scenes are actually, the shots are placed with one another, really do b- help build this sort of uneasy world as the place is going. Also, of course, Joaquin Phoenix I think is fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a weird sort of thing though. I think Joaquin Phoenix did a splendiferous job. I don't agree with, and this is just preference. I can't like it's, this. Shouldn't take away from anything like the craft that he did. I don't particularly agree with sort of the 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 Joker that he portrayed and the way that he portrayed it is not sort of my favorite of the eighty years, if I should say. I okay. to say it's just it's just one that I resonate with the least. Mm-hmm. Um but but he himself i mean he went as you, we all expected him to went all in uh and he was Arthur Fleck um and uh, you know i will say and we'll get to the very end when we get to the very end um for 90% of the movie i was like this is a complete character that maybe while it is not my favorite of the tellings of this of this uh cultural icon um uh it is entirely um well thought out and well acted and and just a, a, a very intense and strong performance. Uh, I will also say that the, um, what's it called? The art direction by Laura uh, Ballinger and uh, the set design by Chris Morin really gave you a, uh,
1: it felt like a 80s city. It felt like 80s Gotham City. Yeah, I was curious where they shot this because it was like, oh man, they really—if they shot this in New York, which I think they did—yeah, uh, you really had to dress up a, a lot. lot of uh, of New York to make it feel this way.
0: Um, now, granted, the while the that look did, I think that that look helped this movie immensely. Um, there is a bit of a a, a, a a what's the word I'm looking for? You, there's a mental disconnect due to some plot machinations, Mm -hmm. um, and the time period that this is supposedly set in, Mm -hmm. um, namely, uh, at one point, the, the Robert De Niro's character who plays the, the talk show host, Mm -hmm. um, gets a clip from a comedy club, (laughs) uh, and plays it on his show, which is basically like a viral video. Like someone shot it on a phone, but this entire movie takes place in the eighties. Like Mm -hmm. there's things like that that don't connect and knock, I, I feel like knock any, I don't know, tech person or consumer of a lot of media off of its feet a little bit. Again, not enough to derail what they're trying to do, but it it it, it broke me out of that all immersiveness that the set design and the art direction really, I think, worked very hard at conveying. Right. Um, and then just sort of without getting too much into it other than that, uh, I just think the movie has a lot of ideas about what it's trying to say and never logically lands a one. Okay. Um. Yeah, and we'll get into that more. What about you? You, you other than other than uh, you having Morse code being flashed at you every time a very <laughs>
1: popular person got a text message. I know uh, they must. They were they were like red hot that night. They were like getting text <laughs> messages every ten minutes. Um, I you know I I I. Hmm. I guess I felt very uncomfortable during the entire course of this movie. Um, be, not just because of the the setting that I was in and, and where I was watching it in, um, but but because the question I was asking myself the whole time was, is this movie a celebration of this character? And and my, where I landed on the entire endeavor was, you know, like you, I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix is wonderful. Though not my favorite performance of his, I think he's melding, um. A couple of different performances from um, both the master and her, uh, yep. and then kind of marrying them together in sort of interesting ways. And it might, just might be that you know, like we've seen him kind of work in this and sp- in, in in a similar space before, and um, but not for this character. So you know, we'll take that for what it is. Um, I think he, you know, just in terms of performance level, he is one of the most unusual bodies I've ever seen on screen, <laughs> um, and and it, it really plays to good effect in this film. Like, you know, he has this sort of slightly uh, uh, dysmorphic body, you know? Like, you know, he lost a ton of weight to do this. But, like, his body... You know, and it's it's weird to talk about a person like this, but I think his body is as much part of the performance in this film as as anything else he's doing. The camera work definitely <clears throat> points in that direction, and it's it's similar to what he did in the master. We, you know, in the master, he had this sort of incredible hunch that that just sort of got more and more pronounced, where his body was arcing towards the ground in like strange angles. Yeah, and that thing. There's a shot right at the early start of this movie where you see the back, like his back, for the first time. Were you stretching the shoes. Uh, yeah, we stretching the shoes out, and there's a the way the, fil- the 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 camera is set is that his arm is jutting out of his l- the left side of his body but it feels like it's at the wrong angle like you're like wait his, his arm doesn't look like it's actually attached to his body it's like his shoulder's
0: a little too low where, yeah. for where his shoulder blade should be yeah.
1: yeah yeah and it's and i i think that's like really carefully considered interplay between the camera and mm-hmm. this performer, and I think I think it works really, really well, especially, you know, there's moments when he's dancing, and you can't, like, take your eyes off, like, the way his body moves, you know, like, it, it, it doesn't feel like it should do the things that it does. Um, so I think that's, you know, like, really, really, um, really powerful, and I think, again, the challenge for any actor is doing this role after, you know, what, it's only been eight, nine years since the... No, actually, sorry, fifteen or something. No, no, twelve years now because it was two thousand eight. Is my math correct? Uh, (laughs) That's uh, nine years. Nine years. Yeah, sorry, what am I talking about? Um, And uh, and and I think the 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 performance is you know like for any actor having to do that. Uh, I think it's such a big challenge, you know. Like you're following one of the the most you know lauded performances in film history, uh, and having to basically give a take on it when when that performance is still fresh in our brains. And it's eleven years. I'm so eleven sorry. years. Oh, so I was close. I yeah. was close. Yeah, my math is not my Why, uh, yeah yeah. We're, we'll will eventually get there on this thing on this topic of finite <laughs> numbers. <laughs> um, but but you know like so I uh, uh, I think any actor who has to do that job. Good for them. I, you know, I haven't watched. Uh is it Gotham on uh, on ABC? I've, you... I've watched enough of it, but I haven't gotten to the
0: point unless they went back and like there was someone they, they were there were sort of putting mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. As, as the, the Joker, j- but then it turned out wasn't, but maybe could be now. I don't know. I, like, I hear like, that movie kind of went off, that show like, went off the rails
1: in a nice way. I yeah. don't know. Um, but like you know, like if you're a, a, a white middle aged actor having to like play an iconic role, this is uh, up there along with James Bond, uh, un- unless the times change. Um, so uh, you know, and I think he does. Uh, it's a great fit of performance for. Uh, for this person, I think uh, Phillips, who kind of imbues the film with this sort of like uh, Scorsese-esque uh, aesthetic, uh, does a does an admirable job of building a world out that feels that 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 appropriately references. Uh, the the grime of New York City that we that we grow to know and understand. Of course, he's you know transplanting that idea onto Gotham now. Yep. But that's you know that's where his world worldview is at. Um, I I think uh, the movie underutilizes a lot of interesting performers like Zazie Beats and Brian Tyree Hill. Yep. Um, for for you know for like I guess just they're, they're there in service of the script. Um, but but overall, one of the things I guess I I, I was interested in this is that I feel like this movie is a big swing at an idea about where we can pitch comic book movies from this point forward, and whether it lands or not. I still admire the swing. Um, you know, I admire the the sort of guts to like walk into a pitch meeting and say, "I want to do uh, a comic book villain movie." Uh, which is not connected to any grander universe uh, although there's some of that in this movie um, yeah. and 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 is is a character study in the the banality oh, a character study in evil and i think that that's a big swing it's a really big swing and i think that's why people were fascinated to see what this movie was you yeah. know and i i personally admire the swing i don't think the film lands my problem my biggest problem is is that the film is basically essentially uh toying with the idea of what is morality in film like what is what is morally acceptable for an audience to to engage with and and i and while I think the film is very capable, and I think Todd Phillips is abs- proving absolutely capable of like rendering that world, I'm not 100% convinced that the film knows what to do with that idea and knows what to uh, how knows what the implications of that idea are. And so I thought a lot about films like uh, American Psycho or Falling Down mm-hmm. or films with, you know like obviously films with the antihero, films with uh, villains at the lead, films with morally compromised centers, and and I think. Uh, many other examples, uh, you know, particularly American Psycho and particularly Falling Down, you know, understands that there is a um, a morality to which the audience needs to view this character. Mm-hmm. And while we can engage in their villainousness and their murderousness and their and the compromise of their internal morality, the film needs to know what to do with it. Now, I think this leads into an interesting conversation about like, can a film be amoral? Can a film be, uh, you know, can a film kind of like absolutely work against the fabric of society as we know and understand it? When you say
0: can a film do that, I mean the answer is yes, but you're saying will an audience engage with the film?
1: Yeah, or okay. how does an audience engage? How? how does an audience engage with a film that is amoral by the boundaries of what we understand as society? Um, and I actually had to, uh, at one point in my career, uh, had to ask that question or I try to answer that question with a with a film about Charles Manson. Um, this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but hopefully it'll get me back there. <laughs> but uh, when I was teaching in film school, I lectured on uh, film and censorship. I was invited by the, uh, the chief censor of New Zealand to look at a film that they were trying to figure out how to place, and that was a, a film about Charles Manson, which essentially celebrated Charles Manson's life. It was basically from the point of view of Charles Manson, uh, and and looked at his deeds as kind of a, a sort of um, a, as uh, ingenious and celebratory. um and and the film had no sort of moral uh, uh, position against that, which I think is something that the Joker, as a film, kind of gets into, um, and and my position there was to kind of try to identify what the historical context for this film, this type of film was, and it was, you know, we talked about exploitation films and and uh, midnight movies, and, yeah. and and that was kind of where this film came from. Um, you know, you could argue the Greasy Strangle, which we which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, kind of plays in the same ballpark, but. But the thing with the Greasy Strangler, the thing with uh, uh, American Psycho, the thing with Falling Down, the thing with um, you know uh, any number of films, uh, you know, like Badlands that that deal with amoral characters, is that they they do understand or they do play in a world where they either have a satirical bent so that they know that yep. they're playing in a sort of satire. They either have a transgressive quality to them, where like you know, like kind of like Fight Club, which is there where there's a sort of a punk rock sort of "fuck it, this is the the world and chaos, and I'm just going to do it" kind of thing. And there's also in Fight
0: Club, there's also the antithesis of that in it as well.
1: There is, well, yeah, uh, there is the antithesis of that in Fight Club, and and I think it's whether this film kind of knows to have one of those ideas to push back against the amorality of the Joker, and I don't think it. I don't think upon first viewing the film knows or understands the implications of what it's doing. And it's not to say that the film isn't rendered beautifully and it's not to say that the film doesn't, you know, have some very big ideas on, uh, 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 on its mind. But I don't, I'm not entirely convinced that the film knows how to place the Joker within the context of the audience that's going to receive it. Well, that's
0: an interesting point. And I I, 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 I want to actually go back to the last sort of Todd Phillips thing that he sort of said about this movie when, when again, I feel like increasing pressure from a, a growing number of people on the Internet when, you're coming, when they're coming at you like that, you know, whatever. This was in a Vanity Fair... Um, thing, but it was talking about why Todd Phillips, the director of The Hangover, and and you know, On a other... film
1: you did on this podcast, which I didn't do, was War Dogs, and uh,
0: oh, with you, Steve,
1: yeah, you did it with okay. Steve, and it, you know, and that's a movie about uh, anti-corruption, and yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's not like his career hasn't been leaning in towards this. No, direction. no,
0: no, no, no. But but basically, um, you know, there's a lot of again in the discourse, uh, there's a lot of the stuff about how co- certain comics are feeling as though they can't do their comedy anymore because the world is just too sensitive Hmm. and um, basically uh, in in a thing with Vanity Fair it was sort of, they they, they click baited title, uh, you know, Todd Phillips versus woke culture. But this is what Todd Phillips sort of said. He said, uh, go try to be funny nowadays with this woke culture. There were articles uh, written about why comedies don't work anymore. And I'll tell you why, because all the fucking funny guys are like, fuck this shit, because I don't want to offend you. He goes on to say, it's hard to argue with 30 million people on Twitter. I agree. Um, you just can't do it, right? So you go, I'm out. I'm out, and you know what? With all my comedies, I think that what comedies in general have in common is that they're irreverent. So I go, how do I make something irreverent but fuck comedy? Oh, I know. Let's take a comic book movie universe and turn it on its head with this. And so that's where this—that's where Joker really came from. Mm-hmm. Um, I beyond the uh, inciting violence, the, you know, arguments and and on both sides, whatever. I think this argument that a lot of com- um, and I will even say comedy directors comedians from roughly you know that were maybe on top about 10 years ago Mm -hmm. uh that oh you just can't be funny because everyone's so offended anymore i think that's completely and utterly bullshit uh i think it was much easier to get praise and laughs in a world that was not quite as aware of the way that some things could actually do mental and in some case physical damage to people Mm -hmm. and I think that um, when you get down to it what these people are actually complaining about is the fact that society and sorry everybody we live in one Um, so you kind of have to deal with that or move into the woods Um, that the fact that their particular brand of what used to get them laughs is no longer in a lot of streams considered funny anymore Right. Comedy does change. Even this movie talks about sort of the subjective nature. It doesn't really land with it, but it brings it up, the subjective nature about what societies think of things. Right. And um truth be told, yeah, you know what? You can be highly offensive and still funny and not piss people off, but the the problem is you have to counterbalance your offensiveness with being actually funny. You can't just say racial slurs into a podcast mic for 30 minutes. And because your three buddies in the room are laughing, uh, that's not you are you are not a comedic genius. Like there are, um, a, a great example. I don't know if you watched this at all, Shahir, but um, Nikki Glazer just did the roast of Alec Baldwin. Yeah, it, uh, did you see this clip at all?
1: I think I saw the uh, yeah.
0: So so that is my perfect example of of comedy. That is incredibly offensive if you just break down the words but with the performance and how she's doing it and who she's doing it to mm-hmm. and, and and knowing reading the room basically that is incredibly offensive material that is that is never making the offensive parts of it making the the people that are victimized the butt of the joke but using it as sort of like fuel for the rest of the whatever the punchline is supposed to be. She's also punching up in a lot of places. Yeah. Um, and and like that's how you do that kind of comedy. And the problem with with a lot of these people that, and I think Todd Phillips might fall into this, um, is that when they just think like, oh, well, we can't be funny anymore. It's like, no, what people consider funny. Is not the same anymore. And no. I'm not saying of course some people still do, but I'm saying if 30 million people are attacking you on Twitter, maybe a lot of people don't. Right. And so I think when when thinking about stuff like this, and I, I don't even think well, I well, I think he is incorrect in the fact that like, oh, um, woke culture has killed comedy. It's like, no, they've made it so you actually have to try harder and uh to 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 get that magical place of everyone finding a thing funny. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy anymore because you can no longer lean on scapegoats anymore mm-hmm. and now with with g- swinging sort of back to joker, mm-hmm. I think even though I disagree with his motivation of getting to the point where he's at, I think you know, he when he says, oh okay, um uh, so how do I do something irreverent but still say fuck comedy, which I don't quite agree with that, but like, yeah, he's taking a. I would argue in most cases uh, the Joker is irreverent, even though it can deal with on um, specific things, a killing joke, etc. a couple episodes even of Batman the Animated Series. But like a character that in the 80-year span of them probably has more irreverent points <laughs> to, the, to that character's lifespan than not. Um, yeah, you could totally try to
1: do something like this. And, and doesn't he do that? I mean, I mean, he attempts it yeah but nobody uh, but, he, but he does do it right like he i like i'm I'm not certain how you're connecting the the criticism of his comment about you can't do irreverent comedy versus him making a joker film he
0: he's trying to turn something that he would consider irreverent into something i guess dark instead of- instead of funny
1: read me the comment again like uh, i i'm I'm getting lost he this says part. sorry so he goes um
0: he goes, I'm out. And you know what? With all my comedies, I think what comedies in general have in common is that they're irreverent. So I go, how do I do something irreverent but fuck comedy? Oh, I know. Let's take the comic book movie universe
1: and turn it on its head with this. So, But isn't isn't what he's saying there is that he can't make uh, a Hangover Part 4 or a Due Date uh, Part 2? Uh, sure. Th- that's what uh, he's, he's saying. He's saying
0: that he thinks in this culture you can't. And yeah. I, I agree because this culture no longer considers that funny. And and also, and, and but this is the other thing, too. This is a weird sort of sidetrack, and this might even get into um, when we swing back to Joker. Let's look at the Hangover series real quick. Hangover 1, I still think, is very funny. Is it very of its time, and certain jokes uh, you might cringe at a little bit if you are culturally aware of, of American society in 2019? Sure. Is it still a well-made, very funny film? Yes. <laughs> you look at the evolution of Hangover 2 and 3,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they are... I I would love to get into an argument on someone who tries to defend hangover three as remotely as as good or competent as hangover one. OK. And it's not just because the cultural zeitgeist changed. It's because it's the same dumb jokes that we've heard already.
1: Right.
0: So there we go. Now. So. So. So to have someone be like, well, I'm going to take this one thing, Joker, and now turn it on its head. So, haha, now this is what I'm doing with this. But, to, but basically after the fact where they tried telling the same type of comedy three times in a row with the film franchise that got progressively worse, I just don't particularly buy the tie-in of like, oh, well, I, I, it's not that I'm not funny or that my jokes aren't funny. It's that you don't get it. So I'm going to take something that you get and turn it into something else that you won't get. And it's like okay, right? I, I I'm not. I don't want to get too much in the weeds. Y- yeah, and I'm yeah, sorry yeah. if I'm not being entirely clear. The the well, moral cause, of cause my like, story is. Yeah. Okay. I disagree very much with this idea that woke culture is ruining comedy. Yeah. I. Yeah. And I think it's very weird that he tied that particular argument to why he made Joker the way he made Joker.
1: But I think I, I I'm not. I think what he was saying there is that I can't make comedies the way I want to make comedies anymore. so I'm gonna go try to do- doing something different.
0: He's going to go try to take another thing that people think is one thing and try to make it into another thing. right. but i I don't get those two comments. I think what you're not getting is exactly kind of what I'm not getting. Mm. They're disparate issues, right. yeah, they're 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 entirely and different so he's issues. tying something like that back into making sort of a reasoning why he's doing this. I just didn't understand it. Maybe there's a longer conversation there to to have. but yeah. the 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 end of that too is with Joker, The
1: attempt is made, as you put, the swing is taken. Yeah, it's a big swing. Um, but it's also a big miss. Yeah, it is a big miss. Uh, it, 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 the movie doesn't land for me. And it doesn't land for me because of a couple of things. One, one is um, the incongruity, I think, that you mentioned above of um, how the movie communicates broader ideas of, I guess, counter counterculture. Yeah. You know, like there's a sense that the Joker becomes a counterculture icon when people realize that he's murdered rich people. Um, uh, you know, we're in spoilers now, obviously, but there's a train, there's a murder on. A train where uh, the Joker kills three people. Um, Wall, Street are, uh, Wall Street guys. Wall Street guys. But there's a there's a sort of disconnect. You know, like the Joker himself sees at some point that I'm not a political figure. Um, and but there's a disconnect with how this moment becomes uh, transgressive and iconic for this character, uh, for the for the broader world around him. Now, yeah. I think um, Phillips does a really good job of building the idea that this world is corrupt and it's getting worse. You know, there's this idea that there's a garbage strike and super rats and Thomas <laughs> Wayne is coming in as like a billionaire mayor who's going to like, you know, save everybody and, you know, wants to do good by the world and thinks that people who think that the murder of these people are clowns. Ergo, the clowns become an icon. I, I like, in my brain, that's not how... Uh, counterculture seems to work. Like, I guess, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think about a little bit and it may not be a good example of counterculture, but, you know, like, uh, for example, in the murder, when when Trayvon Martin was murdered and the hoodie and the Skittles became iconic, it's not because they were, it's because he was a person, a disenfranchised person. And so the murder of these three people on a train with no context around it doesn't quite, ring the same way to me to, to become like this this rallying cry of people around it. It's and, not built well in the film. Yeah, it, it feels like there's a somewhat of a disconnect to it. And by the end of the film, when the world is kind of like falling apart on itself and everyone's wearing clown masks and that sort of thing, I'm like, wait, how did we get to this moment? The, because it, the character himself... Um, the the thing that I think is interesting about the character itself, or the character study, is that it's about the internal struggle of the Joker. Yet somehow, those internal struggles of the Joker become reflected on a on a broader scale around the uh, around the world. Based on purely misinterpretation, but based on not him actually. Engaging with the world. You know, like he doesn't even engage with the world in any sort of meaningful way. And there's some interesting things that a film, this film doesn't do them, but there's an interesting
0: sort of ways it could have taken this, right? Yeah, like, yeah, for I mean, instance, like, how do ideas, especially, you could go back to backlashes on Twitter. How do statements mm-hmm. or one tiny thing in the world echo? Insanely and twist it, the 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 shooting at the Dark Knight. Like all of this stuff is very interesting. How one small thing can then completely reverberate in a in a and and become a huge cultural touch point. Again, seemingly only really for a moment. That's where this movie falls apart too, because no one stuff like this doesn't stay in the cultural zeitgeist for long enough to become a full rallying cry and this sort of thing but it, like
1: but it also feels like it, it happens on the fringes and it would be interesting for the joker then to cultivate yes. on that and, and he and he doesn't and now look you know uh mickey and mallory from natural born killers has this kind of idea in it uh the idea that you know like they become you know celebrities because yeah. of their murder spree and I, I but i think you know like the movie doesn't have anything to say about the way in which these ideas reverberate other than just to use those ideas. And 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 it's like, I, I think the 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 where the movie starts falling down for me, <laughs> falling down. <sighs> yeah. Is is this idea that the Joker reverberates through society in a bigger way without having to ha- actually, having to do anything. Without him having to do anything or engaging with that. And I was like that that's sort of a disconnect with me because essentially the, then there's a thing that happens which is which is in part with the reaction that my audience had to the film, which I was like curious about. And in part because of the way the film utilizes music for example which is that the movie essentially the way i read it kind of starts to celebrate the joker's um the Joker is sort of becoming iconic yeah, uh, and you know like slowly you know like the, you know when he walks down the stairs and starts dancing for the first time it's played to music which is not played in a sort of diegetic or or satirical way like you think about the way in which uh, American Psycho uses uh Huey Lewis in the news
0: it becomes <laughs> literally exactly
1: the same way though a little less
0: sloppy that Suicide Squad uses music by the end of it <laughs> it does it's it's we're watching a music video
1: yeah a little and and I and I think the issue there is I'm not certain and I'm not convinced that it knows what is happening when it does that. It thinks it's cool looking. I, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, and and I, I'm sort of I'm. I, it is cool looking, but there's no point. Like that's that's no. Why you're it's doing. also it's also a moral to the audience. You know, no. like I. I and, and, but
0: I'm saying it doesn't. I, I think the film. Doesn't give it. Doesn't realize that it's amoral to the audience, or doesn't care because it looks cool.
1: Yeah, and I'm not. I am not in any way suggesting that the film is dangerous. Uh, but you know, like which is the argument leveled against sure. it. I, I don't I don't buy that for a second. And I I think I think it's a film to be engaged with. And but unfortunately, I I'm not sure that the film knows what it's doing with these ideas. I just and, wish it said something. No. <laughs> yeah, and and I think what it's saying ultimately about I guess, you know, look, here's the thing. The Joker, for whatever reason, in the last uh, year since the, the announcement of this film, to the release of this film, has become a, a touchpoint for the way in which we view society. And we all live in one. Um, but but I think the thing is is, I'm not sure the movie intended to be that. And if it did, it doesn't know how to engage in that conversation meaningfully. It doesn't,
0: I think... And this is could be a pro to art, or it could be a con, depending on what you want your art to be. It doesn't read the room. It it doesn't it doesn't realize the way it. The, Todd Phillips and whoever else wanted to make this movie because they wanted to make this movie, and that's cool. And you should be able to if you are if you're in the place and you want to be able to do it and you have the means. Like yes, you should be able to make what art you want to make as long as you're not actually hurting anybody. And this film did not actually hurt anybody. Yeah. Um, but. Th- just because you can make whatever you want, you I, I, again, I go back to my comedy, my comedy thing. Just because you can tell any jokes you want, does you are not entitled to a person's laughter, and you are not entitled to people liking or completely connecting with your work. And I do believe that the more you think about the room that you are projecting any art into, if if you are looking for. People to agree, or admiration, or even a specific subset of people. You actually need to understand the quote again, society you're releasing a thing into. If that's what you're looking for, and if and if that's not what you're looking for, then you really can't be angry when other people get upset about the thing that you weren't pointing at them anyway.
1: So I want to I want to steer this conversation away from the film uh, a little bit and what? more and more into like the way we read a film. Let's and, do it. And uh, the book I read this week was called uh, "Film and Morality" by Philip Gillette, uh, uh which basically talks about how do uh how do we discuss can films be moral or what does morality mean for a film itself and uh the quote i wanted to pull out here was uh was this one um telling a story provides the opportunity to make an imaginative leap into another person's mind through the medium of a character but supposing that character is evil a possible hypothesis that is developed uh, that is that a developed moral sense Is capable of withstanding such an insult We recognize evil when we see it And we use it to test our uh, uh, We use it as a test of our moral system In the way that an infection Primes the immune system mm. A lingering doubt is the effect of an evil film character On an evolving sense of moral uh, sense If other social and cultural constraints Are missing or inappropriate Alternatively, and following Kramer's notion of uh, Now this is a, yep. another philosopher they're referring to Kramer's notion in writing of responses to A Clockwork Orange, the evil character may offer a form of aversion therapy, but how far does moral awareness have to be developed before this can happen? And basically what this quote is talking about is what happens uh, when you are not entirely morally aware or, or, or have a moral framework that fits within a broader context of society? What happens when you're engaged with a film that that speaks to an amoral center you know if for example a Clockwork orange uh, is about you know a group of uh, young men who who fight off uh, you know who, who who engage in violence and and you know highly uh, counterculture yeah so. hi- yeah that sort of thing and I and I think the issue here is you know speaking to the the point that you're making about whether... Um, whether you can make jokes that are transgressive. I think you can entirely make jokes that are transgressive. I think you can make movies that are entirely transgressive. I think, though, fundamentally, we as a society and a culture may not be able to collectively engage with a movie that is entirely amoral um, without uh, either a sense of rejection or without um, without a sense of... Uh, coming to terms with art on its own terms. I will say it's not impossible, but it's highly improbable.
0: It's and, highly improbable. And this film did not do that.
1: Yeah, and and the problem is, the, the issue for me is that this is a big swing. This is a big blockbuster with a very no, well-known IP. And the thing that I was sort of worried about when I was watching it was people applauding when the, the Joker murdered people, and that happened in my screening. Yeah, And it's, it's actually... To to the point about John Wick, I, I sort of I asked the same questions around John Wick, you know, like again, I don't think John Wick shouldn't exist. And I don't think that the, you know, but I think it's a broader conversation that we should be having. And and I think what Todd Phillips wants to do in reference to that quote is to make something entirely transgressive, you know, entirely like flipping it on its head. This is the origin of evil, right? But but I think what Todd Phillips may have either misread in the room, or 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 not considered, is that in 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 counterculture movies and films that you know where the bad guy ultimately is the. Um, is the hero of the piece. In the films like Nightcrawler, for example, yeah. which we reviewed, and films like Falling Down, and films like American Psycho. I mean, not the hero, the protagonist. Yeah, the, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. Scorsese is the master of this, is that there is something through the lens where we're watching a char- an amoral character, and we have an understanding that the film is not endorsing that character, but is questioning whether we appeal. And I think what makes Scorsese so good at this is Scorsese turns that lens on how do we, the audience, read this character? So, you know, the final shot of The Wolf of Wall Street is uh, Jordan Belfort, you know, selling the same crap that he's been selling to an audience, and they're they're lapping it up. And that's the final moment of the film, because then you realize that that we have lapped it up throughout the entire the entirety of that movie. Yeah. And I th- and I and I'm not sure that this film has an argument to make in that. Now does it have to make an argument in that? I'm not uh, maybe not. No, but then does then but it also doesn't have to be effective. Like that's that's sort of the that's sort of the turning point on well, that. Well, I guess my my broader point there is does a film have to have a moral center? You know, like does can a film can be entirely uh, amoral? It 100% can. It won't resonate with as many people.
0: I mean, that's it, it, no matter what, whatever spectrum of morality you're talking about, this is a great sort of thing. Jamie said a quote the other day that I loved.
1: She seems to do that a lot for you.
0: It's, <laughs> no, because it's just, she sort of thinks about things in, in ways that I don't. And I really appreciate it. She, she, we were talking about, Um, when we were younger uh, and just like the different sort of mindsets you get into about art or about how the world works or whatever. And I don't know about you, Shaheer, but I went through a bit of a nihilist phase in Mm. my 20s. Yeah. Because like, yeah, oh man, the world's fucked and nothing matters and God isn't real. So like, ah, fuck it. You know what? Every, you know, doesn't matter. Blah, 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 blah. And then when you're in that sort of phase, I've found personally, uh, you try to expunge that and you you want to spread this newfound wisdom that you've had. But there's a secret about nihilism uh, and Jamie said this, and I was, I was, I loved it so much. The the big secret about nihilism
1: is that it's boring. Yeah uh, that that is a good, that is a very good point. It's a, the idea that um, uh, even nihilism, fascism they they also they're also just inverted forms of order.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but but like, so so in that regard, you can make a film that has no moral center that means and says nothing but people aren't going to connect to it on on mass right like cuz 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 at the end of the day that is boring and w- when we come to especially mass market films people are going to feel entertained whether that entertainment comes from a sense of joy or or, or excitement or fear or questioning their own morality it's real hard to question your morality if it's not Talking in, in, in a moral subtext, right? Um, the the thing that got me about this movie, especially at the very end, and now we're into to super spoilers. Um, and, oh, uh, one thing, nothing in this film surprised me whatsoever. Right, every twist, uh, Zazie Beetz character being what she is, completely, Be completely <laughs> hamstrung. But like, it's funny. I knew exactly what was happening. Spoiler alert: the interactions she has with uh, Arthur Fleck are not real and a figment of his imagination. Um, the movie. While while putting something forward that makes no narrative sense, you're like, oh, it's a figment and they're going to deal with that later. But then when they deal with it, they just sort of like hand wave it and don't actually deal with it. Then they're like, instead of like telling you why or how or what the mechanics of this was, it's just like, oh, he was imagining it moving on. The thing about uh, him possibly being uh, Bruce Wayne's uh, stepbrother, Thomas Wayne's son, there's a whole subplot about his mother and is she crazy, and is she not crazy or whatever. And you actually don't really truly get a fully realized answer. You get like the the society's answer to whether or not that is true and you can take whatever you want from that. But rather sort of explain – rather than sort of lingering into that doubt, instead – oh no, you know where all the Joker's problems came from, and he's going to take out his anger now, he's going to redirect his newfound power and anger onto his very ill mother, who is is mentally ill as well as he is, and now he's just going to murder her because all of his problems are from her now. So moving even past that, getting to the point at the end of the film where I was like, if this film does a goddamn monologue, mm-hmm. it's going to undercut everything that this film has been trying to say and at the end of it it's on a talk show and there is a monologue about society and how you just don't get it and how all this stuff and blah 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 and there's the joke the the thing you think what joker what what the movie's trying to set up the joker's going to do is kill himself on this stage and i was like it, it, the entire time i'm like no he's not he's going to shoot the fucking host mm-hmm. and that's what happens yeah and that you're right about what you said before she here is like the entire rest of the movie world is moving on without Joker in an '80s world that wouldn't have the ability to even reverberate like this for a short period of time, let alone this cultural zeitgeist yeah, of whatever. It's, it's
1: even it predates like network news, yeah, twenty four hour thing, yeah.
0: Um, and and the the actual idea that a dive comedy club with a shitty comic. Would then eventually have some sort of VHS viral video that gets on the desk of a prominent night sh- host, and then he wants to have that guy on. Like, there's a lot of plot, um, plot ease, a plot grease, if you will, in this film. It, for a film that's trying to paint something in a in a uh, uh, realistic setting, and I'll actually even say that this film is
1: by far not realistic. It's just gritty. You know what? You know what I think is uh, would be interesting. The issue here is that you're not certain why it's why it's set in 1981 by because of because of these part, I know why it is machinations and i think the the more transgressive act would be to set it today yeah you know the more transgressive and i and i think but you a lot a lot of what this film is trying to say is a, is basically about the way in which we you know like ideas reverberate and mm-hmm. i think that would play better today than it would in 1981 but
0: you know why it's set in the 80s right yeah,
1: hit me. Uh,
0: it is set in the 80s. This is the Todd Phillips problem. I bet you he probably maybe even wanted to set it in a, in a just sort of gritty re- 2019 shitty city. Um, but for all this talk of like wanting to make a movie that's separate, not connected, and all this stuff, there's a lot of Batman lore here, and we can't have the possibility, if this movie hits, Warner Brothers, if they're going to really double down and say, nope, this is a side thing, they can't go back and have a new Batman in current day, if this isn't set in an earlier time period, because in this movie, Bruce Wayne is a child. Like, there's a lot of connective tissue gymnastics here for a film that was very ardent about not being a connected piece to a cinematic universe. So they wanted to kind of have their, and I don't, again, I don't think Todd Phillips did this. This is something I'm not putting on him. This is a total, what it feels like to me, a studio move. They're keeping the back door open, the bat door open, just in case that this can be the way that they bring they bring the dc uh universe back into a connected fold a la marvel
1: you know what is interesting uh the conversations i had after the film um i didn't have any until now so i'm very happy we're doing (laughs) this it's been sitting with me for a while so if i sound like an impetulant child (laughs) i'm sorry the one thing we all kind of talked about was that we went into the movie kind of excited by the idea that this was a standalone film you know the film that we uh the film that i kind of thought about a lot was logan You know, like Logan is a really great example of basically taking a character, putting it in a standalone film and, and making it not feel entirely connected to everything else. It does its own thing. Um, and, and then the thing we all walked out of saying was that the, the most ineffective stuff in this movie was the connection to Thomas Wayne, you know, like even when there's talking about Thomas Wayne and Batman and that sort of thing, you're going, ah, this is a really intimate character study of this one little guy, and I'm really interested in what this one little guy has to do. And we
0: still have Crime Alley. We still have Mm. fucking Crime Alley.
1: When it replays Crime Alley, I'm like, but then the, the thing I walked out of going was like, look, if this movie, you know, the the thing is, I don't think the movie lands on its own terms. Like, it doesn't land in terms of being uh, uh, an amoral character study that, like, has some point of view on the world that is warped and twisted and, you know, has something to, weird to say as a reflection, uh, as a warped mirror on the way sure. we live our lives. Yada yada yada. But I was like, but if this was like a half hour short that connected to whatever they're going to do with the Batman, I was like... Then I would like. Then I would be. I would forgive so much of what this movie is doing, and I would be like on board with the transgressive quality. Like you think about those uh, those shorts that came with the Matrix. Yeah, you know, the like Matrix. like yeah, if, yeah. if if this was if this was that, I think I would like. I, I would think this would be one of the most amazing pieces of media to accompany Bat. You know, a Bat the 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 yeah. Gotham lore. And I was like, it's really strange because what I want is the is the thing that I would have been okay with if this film was that it's really you know like yeah. I'm sort of in a weird a weird place with that um, it was just a strange feeling where I was like I don't think that stuff worked but if it was connected then maybe I would forgive it you know? Yeah, I mean, or if it admitted
0: its connection, I don't know, like, because it is, it, look, it's they leave it open, and that's the weirdest part of
1: it. If it's a... not connected to the Batman universe, there's no reason to do any of this stuff with Thomas, I mean, like, the Thomas Wayne as dad kind of thing, I think is actually kind of interesting. Sure. And it's an, in, uh, and... But it feels also completely separate from the rest of the film. Well, it's it's the crime alley thing that feels yeah. disconnected, like, if, if if that was the only scene and, you know, and it was just the suggestion, and I like, I really did like the idea that you know, like uh, Arthur Flick walks around thinking that Thomas Wayne is, is his dad, and then realizing that that's completely not true, or
0: it is, or, or, it is. or the society has lied,
1: but yeah. then it never deals with it yeah. beyond that. I, I think that's an interesting idea, and I think I think that you know, like, there's no lore in this that's etched in stone in the Joker universe. So I think like the idea that you can kind of like play with it is fun. Christopher Nolan's idea of like it could be one of a thousand stories, and we and the Joker is never telling the truth. That, that's more interesting. That that's fascinating and that's so powerful because it's basically taking the idea of the Joker and putting it into action.
0: Yeah. The <laughs> the thing you bring up with Logan is interesting too. The reason why I think Logan works as a standalone work is because it comes at the end of a timeline. And therefore you can kind of ignore I mean it, it's the end. You know it's the end of this character and therefore you could you can have light references without it feeling like it's going to be a piece of connective tissue because the rest of yeah. the the rest of the movies work without Logan. Yeah. And Logan could work without the rest of them, but only because it's the end of the story, whereas this is the beginning of a story. And if you're going to connect this to anything, that means that then more story will have to happen. And yeah. The, my, I guess my final thoughts on Joker is I when I when I was I think she here you and I when we were talking about the the discourse going on about whether this film is dangerous or not or something like that I believe I I used the word I'm like I, I haven't seen the film at this point but I was like I just don't think the film's going to be necessary and we got into a discussion about what is necessary in film and whatnot and I, I would like to rescind that statement because I think that's the definitely the wrong thing any art that wants to be made is either necessary or unnecessary like that, that's not something that should be levied against a work right uh, what I will say about this movie is sort of my final final thought a more apt word would be I think this movie is ultimately inconsequential but it's it's it, it's also the perfect sort of pinpoint about how we as a society deal with things that uh, basically can run wild at least for like two or three days or weeks and then go away forever like we are very in love with uh, outrage mm-hmm. and we are very in love and this isn't something that the movie is saying this is just something that I think is true in society so when Joker comes out and I do think it's the perfect storm of, like, Todd Phillips, Joaquin Phoenix, whoever, not reading the room where this is coming out in. And then because there was not that care taken, the, everyone freaks out on either side. And both sides are not correct because there shouldn't be any fucking sides. Like, it's just it, – it, it's a movie that tried to take a big swing and didn't hit. And for the next two weeks or whatever – but I, I have a theory that the conversation around this film will other than Joaquin Phoenix's performance for possibly awards season will fade. It, it, there's nothing here that I feel like even resonates. Even if you read the film wrong, it's impossible to read it wrong. Cause I honestly don't think it's actually saying anything. Mm. Uh, I honestly think that once this becomes a less popular... This doesn't have the fuel to keep a discussion going. And therefore, I do feel like even though there are good things about it, it's shot beautifully. I think the set direction is still the star of this movie next to Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Ultimately, every other character doesn't particularly matter. And we get into a whole argument of like mental health issues and whatnot, which the Joker, you could go into that rabbit hole forever. It's just... This movie, it, for me, and I do feel like in even the cultural zeitgeist beyond the outrage on both sides is inconsequential.
1: Yeah, I I don't disagree with that, and I think I I agree with your point that um it will fade out over time because it it doesn't it it it, it dances around a hot button yeah and but it doesn't know how to push it yeah it doesn't know how to push it in in either. A tr- you know, like I would have, I think I would be here for a really transgressive punk rock movie about the Joker that says "fuck it to the world." and we are our own worst enemy kind of, Yeah, you know like and, and this is what we are if we took the discourse
0: that's happening around and the joker movie. and it was integrated into the what the joker was saying because that's that's the thing right. and this movie doesn't do that
1: well maybe it does and maybe you know maybe the the fact that the movie is kind of creating this discourse is is the, you know is the I, reflection of it it's but it's the blah, 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 blah. connection
0: it's the connection to it's like you said with the with the killings
1: in the dark knight yeah. thing it's not that the
0: killer was dressed up as the joker yeah. it's that it just so happened to be the random movie was that, that that's what we're experiencing with the discourse on Joker. Right. This is not a grand statement the film is making. This is a a outrage that the film either unluckily or luckily stumbled
1: into. Yeah, and I, it has to do with who the who this IP is. But but yeah. you know, like I uh, I would be I'm I'm on board for what this movie seems to have wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think it does it, and unfortunately, that that is a that's a shame for me. You know, like I I I think you know Todd Phillips' transition from The Hangover through to War Dogs through to this, mm-hmm. I think is like it, it's it's sure. legit. You know, I, I believe it, I buy it. I, I think
0: Todd Phillips is a great is a good filmmaker. I don't agree on his uh, I guess stances on a lot of opinions of, of things, but, but that you, know, really like t- you
1: know, like you uh, know, like taking uh, the internet with a grain of salt is kind of uh, of the course, way clickbait I is it. clickbait, and you know, like uh, Scorsese this week is being dragged for uh, oh man, pick. I. I wish we had time to yeah. talk about that. That's so yeah. silly. Uh, but but uh, you know, regardless, uh, I don't think the film is dangerous. I think you should see it because it's an interesting uh, nugget of an idea. I don't think it's successful in 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 executing. Uh, said nugget. W- said nugget of idea. <laughs> um, so you know, whatever you want, take the chicken nuggets with however you want to take them. You know, with honey dipping sauce or with sweet and sour baby. What if you What if you put like a, a just a, a hummus with a sure, with a... just not Szechuan sauce. Oh, no, I'm so
0: it. fucking over. I love Rick and Morty,
1: but goddamn Comic Con. Let's <laughs> Let's pull it together. Let's Let's get out of this uh, Szechuan sauce. One thing. Uh, okay, we're out of the review now. Yeah. All right. One thing I wanted to point out this week that. Uh, um, oh wait, we're not quite out yet.
0: Okay. This has been the only podcast about the film Joker. Now we're out.
1: Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, anything else we need to do? Like we need to put on a tie, uh, take a sip of water? Sure. Uh, All those things. Sing a song? Yeah. No, okay. Um, is the Joker played at the Toronto International Film Festival? And we were very lucky yes. to have a roving reporter. Which is something we can't afford. No, a free roaming (laughs) reporter. A free roaming reporter. Uh, Previous guest on the uh, on the show, Annie Gillis, fantastic producer whom we both worked with, is an. Avid film lover, um, and and Sid, you know, mentioned uh, in some conversation I was having with her that she was going to the Toronto International Film Festival, and she's such a great film lover that she's like, I'm just gonna drop a hat and go to the film festival and see what I see, and so I was like, I jumped in with like, you know, my cap in hand, was like, would you be interested in just giving us like a one minute review of every film you see? Yeah. And to my surprise, yeah. she, not only did she do that, she did it with uh, with uh, uh, fantastic uh, insights into the films that she saw. So I'm very excited. This is the f- this is the first on the Only mo- Podcast about movies. If you would like to be a roving reporter for us, tell us which film festivals you're going to and write us in at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com <laughs> or hit us up on Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. Because we're not invited. And uh, we're not invited and we don't have money to pay you. So yeah. work for free <laughs> for us. Because uh, isn't that what, how people work for the Joker? Are we the Joker now? Uh no. Although I have been cackling quite a <laughs> yeah, bit, yeah, you have been. So uh, these, I, I I want you to stick around. It's a it's a five minute piece, but it's ba- it's got a review of the new Safety Brothers film, Uncut Gems. The new yes. Soderbergh film, The Laundromat. The Rupert Gould film, starring uh, Renee Zellweger, Judy, Edward Norton's fil- film, Motherless Brooklyn. The Trey Edward Schultz film, Ways, which I'm super excited for. Uh, Shia LaBeouf's film, Honey uh, Honey Boy. Honey boy. In- and Lucy in the Sky, the the um, Natalie Portman space vehicle that is uh, maybe makes an interesting companion piece to Ad Astra Uh, Uh, um, please stick around to listen to all these reviews you're going to get an insight into all the movies that are coming up probably in awards season thank you so much to Annie Gillies for actually doing this for us uh, and being our unpaid intern is that what she is now? I guess. Uh, well, b- before we...
0: Are we just going to play that at the very end? Is that the plan? Yeah, yeah. All
1: right, well, Shahir, what you're not calling <laughs> Annie our unpaid intern, where can folks find you? You can find me uh, uh, being very unethical with my labor practices at my website at www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, if you ever uh, do a redub of this film in the Hamill voice, uh, where can people find you doing that? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know. Uh, you can find me at my website,
0: Carol.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Also, please go check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. I believe uh, next week, I'm looking over at the schedule. Oh, man. I hope you guys like Star Trek, because we're going to look at the gaming implications of the Kobayashi Maru in a couple of days. And then also, uh, we're going to be starting our Extra History series on uh, Anchor Watt and the history behind there, which uh, the art in that series by uh, Nick DeWitt is some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen him. It's so good. Uh, So please go check that out. And now, I guess, without further ado, here is our friend, Shahir, our friend. Unpaid
1: intern. Our friend. Unpaid intern. This is funny because we usually work for her. It's also true. (laughs) Annie Gillies, please take us
0: away uh, to some more reviews. At the Toronto International Film Festival. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Hey guys, sorry I can't be there to talk movies in Queens. I'm currently in Buffalo, a quick two hour drive from Toronto, where last week I attended TIFF, the Toronto Film Festival. I saw a bunch of really enjoyable films in three days, so here's my quick take on a few. First up was Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler, directed by the Sadie Brothers. Um, I don't think I've ever felt my heart racing in the beginning of a movie like I did with this. The first 10 minutes, it was nonstop. The music, the editing, the imagery, it's kind of hard to even explain. It was like this insane, frenetic beginning, and it calmed down but still kept the excitement and kind of that energy throughout the entire film. It's about a high-end jeweler in a corrupt New York City diamond district. I enjoyed the movie and thought Adam Sandler was at his best. I also really felt for his character, Howard even though he's kind of like a complete ass in the film. And uh, NBA star Kevin Garnett also stars in it, and in my opinion, stole every scene he was in. Adina Mazel plays Adam Sandler's wife in the film, and I love everything about Adina always, so that made me happy too. hears fave Steven Soderbergh brought his Netflix film, The Laundromat, to the fest, and unfortunately, it missed on a lot of levels for me. It tried breaking the fourth wall, big short style. Instead of focusing on the housing crisis and market collapse, it was focusing on the 2016 Panama Papers, and just felt flat. Um, Meryl Streep was the shining light, as she always is. And there's this oh shit moment at the end that I'm not going to say. And I hope people don't know about going into the film, you know, if you want to check it out. But it was definitely like, oh, wow. OK. But otherwise, I just I, I wasn't feeling the movie at all. My favorite of the festival was Judy. I didn't know too much about Judy Garland besides The Wizard of Oz and some of her family ties going into the film, but I was really engaged and wanted to know more and more about her and her life as the film went on. Um, That was mostly due to one of the best performances I've seen in a long time by its star, Renee Zellweger. Definitely believe the hype around her performance this Oscar season because she was truly astounding. I just, I couldn't believe it was her. I didn't, I kept on thinking it was really Judy. It was, it was an amazing performance and she sang everything herself Um, and she was actually actually in attendance the night i saw it and received it like an over five-minute standing ovation afterwards, and that's not very typical at TIFF. Edward Norton direct stars in and wrote the screenplay for Motherless Brooklyn, a murder detective film set in the 50s. I enjoyed it, but it's not something I would tell people to run out and see. It's one of those films that is fun to watch, but then when the payoff comes, you're kind of like, Ugh, I don't know, really? It just wasn't big enough. Um, also, Norton's character has a Tourette syndrome type tick, um, and it was hard for me to think of him as his character and not as Edward Norton Playing a guy with a tick. It just, it was, it seemed like staggering a lot of the time. So that was tough to get through. Waves was my most anticipated film of the festival after hearing some great initial buzz. I didn't leave the screening thinking it was a masterpiece, but it definitely didn't disappoint either. It was moving and anger-inducing, heartbreaking, beautifully shot, and incredibly acted, especially from a really young cast. The film is basically two parts, one before a tragic event and one after an event, um, both focusing on different characters. I I don't want to say too much more, but I definitely would recommend it. The biggest surprise for me was Shia LaBeouf's Honey Boy. It's based on his actual life, and it's actually written by Shia. The film mainly focuses on his tumultuous relationship with his father starting when he was a young Disney star. Shia plays his dad in the film with Noah Jupe playing the young Shia and Lucas Hedges who was also great in Waves playing the current Shia. It was a really honest and just really really well-written film I thought. It put a lot of the crazy things Shia has done in his personal life in a better perspective for me. I guess I don't think he's that crazy anymore Um, (laughs) and it's a film I definitely want to revisit. The last film I'm going to talk about is Lucy in the Sky, starring Natalie Portman. This film has been getting panned pretty hard, but I personally think unfairly panned. It's not a great movie, but it's not a horrible movie. And, um, you know, I thought it was pretty entertaining and it kept my attention. It's loosely based on astronaut Lisa Nowak, who went a little cray-cray a few years ago, if you remember, after she went on her first space mission. So, you know, I, I think it's worth checking out. It felt a little long, but I enjoyed it overall. Well, that's it for TIFF this year. Let me just say, overall, it was a lot better than the year I saw Mother, guys. Um, but I don't know if you already heard, Tomb Raider 2 has been greenlit with my girl, Alicia Vikander. So plan to see me in your studio for a review when that's out. Thanks, guys. All my friends are eating, take it slow. Wait for them to ask you who you know.